Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit DestinyDayton.com. Amen. Hallelujah. Hebrews 13. We're going to try to wrap up the book of Hebrews today. I believe there's been 30 or 31 messages, if I'm not mistaken, this past year on the book of Hebrews. Oh, that would make a pretty interesting commentary someday, wouldn't it? If somebody wanted to write that out, that would be <laughs> that'd take a few years <laughs> to get that done probably. Here we go, Hebrews 13. We'll start with verse 7. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Remember your leaders who spoke God's message to you. Reflect on the outcome of their lives and imitate their faith. Understand that many of their leaders were in prison. So they're telling you to imitate those that are in prison for their faith. So if you want to imitate somebody in Christ, it might be a good place to start to say, who's in prison for their faith? We don't have a lot of that yet in America, uh, but there are plenty of places on this planet that people are being put in jail for their faith in Jesus Christ. So just a thought here. Uh, remember, he's encouraging them to imitate your leaders who are now in jail. Some of them are dead. Some of them have been martyred. He's saying those are the people worth following. A lot of implication there. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, this is a great verse that often we take out of context. What's the context here? If you follow Jesus like your leaders who have been martyred, the same Jesus who was with them will be with you. <laughs> you see that? We always like to get, we'll get on something and say, well, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is true, he is. But understand why he is writing this. The same Jesus who held the hand of your pastor as he was executed for his faith, he will hold your hand while you're being executed for your faith. Who's preaching this today? Come on. Where is this message found in the church world? The same Jesus who's with the persecuted church in Nigeria where Christians are being burned alive or in China where pastors and Christians are in prison and they're making a lot of these lights that are made in China are made by pastors and Christians. Did you know that? Slaves in China. Those are the people who Jesus has been with and the same Jesus who was with Daniel, who was with Shadrach, who was with Moses, who was with Aaron, who was with Abraham, who was with David, the same God that was with them, that walked through them with trials, is the same God that will walk through you, will walk with you through your trials as you do what? As you follow their example. Hello. Do not be carried away by all sorts of strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by ritual meals. Talking about people that want to still eat the Old Testament meals and celebrate that. He's like, don't waste your time with that. You have grace to strengthen you. You have the power of God. Remember Pentecost, and this book was written by a Pentecostal to Pentecostals. Understand that the whole New Testament was. He is saying grace is the power of God. This grace is what will strengthen you, right? This grace is what's going to give you the power, not ritual meals, verse 9 which have never benefited those who participated in them. 
We have an altar that those who serve in the tabernacle have no right to eat from. For the bodies of those animals whose blood the high priest brings into the sanctuary as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, to sanctify the people by his own blood, Jesus also suffered outside the camp, right? He was nailed to the cross outside of Jerusalem. We must go out to him then outside the camp. Bearing the abuse he experienced. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, you have to do what? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Right? We have to come kneel at the cross. We have to take up our own cross. 4, verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, through who? Jesus. Through him, Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, acknowledging his name. Because of what Jesus has done, there's something that we need to continue to do. Continually offer the fruit of our praise. The sacrifice of our praise, that is the fruit of our lips. Hello. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls and will give an account for their work. Let them do this with joy and not not with complaints, for this would be no advantage for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to conduct ourselves rightly in every aspect. I love that. Here's here's a leader. And obviously, whoever wrote this was a leader. And he's saying, pray for me. I'm doing my best to make sure I'm doing this with the with a proper, clear conscience and the desire to conduct ourselves right in every respect. I especially ask for you to pray that I might be restored to you very soon. So here at the very end of the book, he drops a little twist to the story. Sounds like he's in prison, doesn't it? Pray that I might be restored to you very soon. The writer of Hebrews may have well written this from prison. This possibly was the last thing he wrote. He may not have been restored to them. He may have been like the others and lost his life as well. I find that interesting. We just catch that there at the end. And here's the end. Now may the God of peace who by the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ, equip you with every good thing to do his will working in us. What is pleasing before him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, bear with my message of exhortation. For in fact, I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been leaving. Remember, remember Timothy in the New Testament? He was in prison, right? He has been released. If he comes soon, he will be with me when I see you. Greetings to all your leaders and all the saints, those from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just strengthen our hearts to receive. God, may we open our hearts. God, may we put the flesh to death. May we put excuses to death. May we put religion to death right now in the name of Jesus. God, we want to encounter you. Lord Jesus, we're sick of dead, dry, boring, predictable church. God, I pray that you would just do something fresh in our time today, in our, in our time in this world, Father, in our, our moment that you've given us in, on this planet, Father. Do something fresh, Father. God, I pray, pr- pour out oil. Pour out the oil and the wine, God, on your body. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated.
strengthened by grace. Strengthened by grace. I want to just give you a little blurb here of what a definition here I wrote. Grace is the enabling power of God given freely to those who belong to Christ in order to do what we cannot do on our own. This is what grace is. We have misunderstood grace as uh, an excuse for sloppy living or sinful living. We say, well, it's all under grace. No, that's not grace. Grace is an enabling power from the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit carries that grace, right? Because we understand Jesus is in heaven, right? He's at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is not on earth today. It's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit carries the grace of God because he is God. So grace then becomes an enabling power of God and is given freely to those who belong to Christ. That's why you see Paul and even here the writer of Hebrews and others throughout the New Testament. That's a, that's a common greeting and a common closing. Grace to you. Grace be yours. Grace be unto you. What is he saying? There is an enabling power that's going to strengthen you to walk through this world that you can maintain your purity, that you can maintain your mind, that you can live free from religion, that you can live free from the world systems, that you can break free from the world system. And it's the power of grace. It is the enabling power of God given freely to those who belong in Christ in order that we can't do what we cannot do on our own. I love that. In order that we can do what we cannot normally do on our own. And then he says this, I want you to be strengthened by grace. And this is what he says in verse 7. And and I I just want to summarize verse 7 and 8. We're strengthened by grace. Grace strengthens strengthens us so we can maintain the correct course in life. Frequently we read in the New Testament, beware of someone trying to deceive you. Beware of deceivers. Colossians 2, I was reading that this morning, and I, I thought, man, how powerful is this? It says, take heed lest someone deceives you with an argument that makes sense to you. There are people that encounter God and they go back to their family or their friends who are steeped in religion and they talk them out of the deliverance that they got. Oh, you're in that kind of church? Oh, you're in one of those Pentecostal churches that speak in tongues? Oh, is that the kind of church? And all of a sudden, they get in the head of those people, right, who have been freed, who've encountered God, and suddenly they begin to listen to arguments that kind of sound plausible. This is something that we must guard, my friends, because listen, the more radical our encounter becomes with the Lord Jesus Christ, the more religious people will push back on it. The atheists, the the sinners out there, they're not going to be the ones that primarily push back on what God does in this room. It's going to be people that go to the churches where the Spirit of God has already departed, right? They're they're already marrying same-sex couples. They've already compromised. They've already compromised the gospel, and the Bible is just a book to them, and and God is a woman, and and it's like Christianity is a moose head mounted on the wall, and they bought the t-shirts, and they think they're good, but the problem is the Spirit of God has departed from them. 
We must be careful because there are going to be people that come and make arguments against what God is wanting to do and try to talk you out of your victory and talk you out of your deliverance and talk you out of what God is doing. I want to tell you, don't listen to that false teaching. Don't listen to those lies because this is what he says. Be careful when you're, tr- when you're following and empowered by grace. It's going to keep you on the right course. It's going to keep you on the right path. That's why he offers up the leaders here as examples to be followed. Because a lot of people don't like to follow people who get killed for their faith. Because religion will give you a great reason why. I've heard him. I, I, hear, I hear it today. I hear it today. Well, why didn't they just tone it down a little bit? Why didn't they just comply? Why didn't they just go along with it? Why didn't they just, why didn't they just say okay and just, you know, just, just do what they wanted? It's demonic. I tell you what, in this world, my friends, you, I, I feel like we can't be radical enough for Jesus Christ. We can't worship radically enough. We, we can't shout loud enough. Why? Because religion has such a stronghold that we have got to break out of. I believe God is wanting to show up and represent himself in America again because he's been misrepresented long enough. And God is wanting to pour out his power. He's wanting to pour out the spirit of revival. Is anybody in here today? He's wanting to pour that out. And I want to tell you, there will be massive pushback to it. Massive pushback. And it'll it'll 98% be people from other churches. 98%. He says here in in Hebrews 7 and 8, consider the outcome of the lives of the people that you have been following and imitate their faith, right? That imitation's pretty rough because they died for their faith. They were in prison for their faith. They're the very ones mentioned earlier in the letter that had been severely punished for their faith. But the people worth following are those who have died for their faith in Jesus Christ, like the pastor in Iran who was hung. And as they put the rope around his neck, they said, Sir, we'll give you one more chance to renounce your faith in Jesus Christ and serve Allah. Because as the, uh, it's the same God, right? That's what the world lies to you and tries to say, No, 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 Allah and Jehovah are not the same. Yahweh, Yahweh and Allah are not the same. And we'll give you one more chance to deny your faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, I will kiss the rope that hangs my neck before I ever renounce my faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the kind of people we want to follow. And many of the leaders here in Hebrews 13, they had left the planet already. And they can't be followed per se, but their example sure can be. But you see, I want to tell you, my friends, it's only when we're strengthened by grace. That's why I can't do a little 55-minute sermon or a little 55-minute service. I I can't just get by on what we've always done before because I believe God is wanting to break out in greater measure. I believe God is wanting to birth freedom. I tell you, we're seeing people getting free from demonic activity, people free from drugs, people free from pain and hurt. We're seeing people get, all kinds of people get set free, and many of them don't even go to this church. They have to come here to get deliverance because their church don't do it, and then they go back to their church and try to fit in and whatever it was they came from. But I want to tell you, God is doing something amazing in our time today and we want to be a part of it and I want to tell you the only way we go is all in.
all in, Lord. Because we know as we go, the Bible tells us as we go, the Lord will be with us. His power will be with us. His grace will be with us. We will be strengthened by grace. Everyone say strengthened by grace. You see, without the power of God's grace, we can not only veer from the right course, but we can also come to the wrong conclusions. I said a minute ago, Pentecost is a worldview as much as anything else. I know we don't think of it as that. We think of it as a doctrine. But really, I want us to begin to think a little bit uh, uh, about the, the philosophical nature of Pentecost, the worldview nature, if you know what I'm saying, how it impacts everything we believe. It, it, it should impact everything we do. And understand that is sustained by the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit resident in us. If we think of the power of the Holy Spirit, we think of the Holy Spirit flexing, but the Holy Spirit is bringing a whole bunch of grace with them. And I would like, I would like to submit to you that grace is what gives us the ability to flex, not in a prideful way, but in a I'll kiss the rope that hangs my neck before I ever renounce Jesus Christ type of way. We must make sure that we're walking in the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. Since this is entering into the Christmas season, this is something I found quite interesting. But there's two characters. I say characters, they're real men. They both lived in the 1800s. They both saw the rise in the Western European Industrial Revolution. They both saw what that was doing to culture. There were pluses and there were minuses. And on the minus side, you saw a lot of poor people that were abused and oppressed and used for their ability to work and paid very little. And we, we, they, they both saw the same problems in London where they both lived in the 1800s. But these two men came to very different conclusions. One man was a German man. He had moved to London. He'd been kicked out of his own country. He began to write a book that became very, very popular called Das Capital, The Capital. His name was Karl Marx. He lived in London, and he saw what was going on, the class division and the, 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 the suffering of the, of the poor. And, and, and his conclusion was they need to rise up. They need to fight back because he saw, you see, Karl Marx was like a very serious atheist and he did not believe in God whatsoever. So everything to him was materialism. It's materialism. It's, it's basically the Tower of Babel, right? It's like, we can do it. We're man. We don't need God. We're going to do this on our own. We're going to build this thing. We don't need to leave God out of this. We're going to handle this. This is a government thing. This is how we can. And he has a bunch of complicated drivel in his book. To solve the same problem, or to try to solve the same problem that another man saw. But this man who lived in London was a believer. He saw the poor suffering. He saw children that couldn't get medical care. When people were dying in the streets begging. And in his heart, he knew the answer. So he wrote a story about a character named Ebenezer Scrooge. And Tiny Tim. And he wrote one of the most his one, one of his most famous works, The Christmas Carol. Charles Dickens is who I'm talking about, in case you don't know. Because Charles Dickens, as a believer, saw it as a spiritual problem. 
and within his, his work uh, of the Christmas carol, he, he enunciates his Christian belief probably as strong or stronger than any other writing he did. But he shows that what mankind needs to move from cruel and oppressive is an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his original book, Ebenezer Scrooge, heart was, heart was changing over the, over the course of these three nights of visits. And I know we've condensed it down into a little TV shows that we watch. But in the course of time, and in three days, he was completely transformed. And, and when you watch the movie or you watch the cartoon, you pick it or you read the book, you see this man has had an encounter that changed his life because Charles Dickens understood the power of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we don't need more of man's plans but we need an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ because it's not a material problem today. It's a spiritual problem. But the power of grace keeps us on the right path. The power of grace. Dickens knew the power of grace. Interesting then, verse 9 says to do what? If you look at your, your Bible, do not be carried away by all sorts of strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by ritual meals which have never benefited those who participated in them. Do not try to mix that which is strange, my friends, with that which belongs to God. Colossians 2.22 says that the teachings and commands of men will perish. Paul warns us in 1 Timothy 4.1, he says, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will desert the faith. That means they walk away from God. They stop serving God. They walk away from their salvation. And they occupy themselves with deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. My friends, understand that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are encountering in this place and that can be encountered when we call on the Lord Jesus Christ gives us power over the demonic spirits. It gives us power over deceiving teaching and over deceiving spirits. And I would, I would just say with all my heart, we need more of the grace of God. So why not worship more? Why not press in more? Because there is more to be had of God. And the more we have of God, my friend, the less likely the world's going to look interesting at all to us. But we try sometimes to mix strange with what belongs to God. We saw this in the Old Testament. Right? When, when, when Eli's sons, reprobate sons, tried to start their own fire on the altar and the Lord said, that's a strange fire fire but it's strange it didn't have the correct origin it didn't have the right origin right and we in the same in the same sense today our fire must be birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the presence of Almighty God, not by the right songs, not, not, not by the right uh, plans, uh, not by the right strategies and schemes. Those things may have a place and be okay in certain examples, but I want to tell you, we have to go all in on relying on the presence of God and go all in on crying out to God. We can never lose our spiritual hunger. Are you here today, my friends? Because I want to tell you, it is grace of God. that will keep us on the correct path and it's the grace of God and I want to tell you if we will get that grace going stronger in our life it's our hunger that will drive that 
I quoted Sean Smith last week. I want to quote him again. Same thing. He said, if you've lost money, you haven't lost anything much. If you've lost your health, you've lost something. But if you've lost your spiritual hunger, you are lost. That's why it's incumbent upon all of us to push back on religion, to push back on the flesh. When the flesh says, oh, we got to do this again, or here we go, you got to push back on that. When there is mixture, there is destruction of faith. We cannot mix that which is holy with worldly philosophies. And this is what is taking place in parts of the church world today. Wokeness is Marxism with lipstick. And some in the church have embraced this demonic infiltration to their own ruin. Nothing worse than a church that can no longer get people free from their sin. So they begin to embrace the sin. They begin to embrace the demonic philosophies in order to try to build their church. And what you end up with is a hideous distortion of what the bride of Christ is supposed to look like. And where Christ is not the head, but rather it's the spirit of Antichrist that's the head. God will not tolerate mixture, my friends. He's not coming back for a distorted bride. He's not coming back for a hideous face that's distorted by sin and compromise. But the Bible says he's coming back for a glorious church, one without spot or wrinkle. This is why the church needs to awaken and break its ties with an ungodly world before it's too late, with ungodly philosophies before it's too late. Listen, we can't change the world if we look just like the world. We can't change the world if we're trying to accommodate the world. Is anybody out here today? You know what made the Old Testament prophets so infinitely valuable to their time? They ticked everybody off. Os Guinness has a great book called Prophetic Untimeliness. And he makes this point that what made their message so powerful is it went against the, the norm of culture. What made the prophets so amazingly used by God, not only were they empowered and willing to stand up against the flow, but they were able to speak against what was going on. And were they popular? No, they were not. Israel always honored their prophets after they killed them. Then they talked about what great guys they were. The only one they couldn't get their mitts on was Elijah, right? He was, he was, but most of the other ones suffered some sort of persecution, some sort of death at the hand of people that didn't want to hear what they had to say. And I want to tell you, it is no different for the church today. If you stand up and proclaim hell hot and heaven real and sin bad and Jesus good, people are going to look at you like you have seven heads. But don't let that distract you. Don't let that deter you because this is the foolishness of the gospel that will change lives. It's the foolishness of preaching that will change people. We can never forget this, my friends. We can never afford to sell out. We can never afford to compromise because the second we do, we offer something that's worthless to people. I think we've been lied to and said, well, if you represent Jesus correctly, the world will want you. That's not true. And I've probably said that before, and I'm sorry, I repent of that. If you represent Jesus correctly, it may get you killed. Let me amend that statement. If you represent Jesus correctly, it makes the people mad. 
and they may have your same last name. Get ready. If you represent Jesus correctly, you may stir a pot of bees. Get ready. But in the midst of that, you know who you're going to draw? The bound. The broken. Because you see, there's people that are wandering through this planet. They're wandering through this world, and they're looking to grab a hold of something that's real. They're looking to get a hold of something that can free them from their pain. And when they see that lighthouse, when they hear that voice, when they see that person uncompromised, with no mixture in them, filled with the grace of God to maintain the correct course, they are drawn to them. And just like the lady that had the issue of blood, she pushed her way through a crowd to cause indignation to everyone around her. Who is this lady? This lady just pushed her. How rude. But that's who we're here for. I'm not up here preaching to make religious people happy. Because believe me, we've worn a path, people walking out in the middle of my sermons. Worn a path. Worn a path. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Because I have to be what God has called me to be. You have to be what God has called you to be. He's called us to be voices, not echoes. We have enough echoes. We can be like Brother So-and-so down in North Carolina. They have 55 million people there. They have 350 million followers on Instagram and 450 million. Who cares? Who cares? And when me and Brother So-and-so stand before God, guess what? We'll be shoulder to shoulder. Exposed. That's what we are. God's not going to ask me how many Instagram followers I have. He don't care. Not going to ask me how many Facebook posts I have that got more than 50 likes. He won't. He, that doesn't matter. Did you preach the truth? Did you uphold the power of the gospel? Did you preach it all from Genesis to Revelation? That's what matters. Did you alter the message depending on who was in the crowd? Did you tone it down a little bit? So that, that, that one church we, that, that we're trying to get people from, I will tone it down so they'll fit in here. Uh-uh. Here's the way. Walk ye in it, right? That's what Jesus would say. Here's the way. Walk ye in it. God will not tolerate mixture. Look what it says next. Verse 10. Are you with me? Three of you. Good. We have an altar for those who serve in the tabernacle and have no right to eat from. For the bodies of those animals whose blood the high priest brings into the sanctuary as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, to sanctify the people by his own blood, Jesus also offered. Again, he's comparing Jesus to the sacrificed lamb, the sacrificial lamb. Jesus also suffered outside the camp. We must go out to him then, outside the camp, bearing the abuse he experienced. Isn't that interesting? When's the last time you heard a sermon from a pulpit about the abuse you're going to have to bear for following Christ? Anyone ever heard that? I'm just curious. No one's raising your hand if you're listening or watching this. Maybe one, maybe two. This is what the Bible says. We bear the abuse he experienced for 
Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Therefore, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, acknowledging his name. Everyone say acknowledge his name. You see, a heart strengthened by grace is going to be able to maintain the sacrifice of praise. A heart strengthened by grace is going to be able to maintain the sacrifice of praise, which is what? I, I think I almost heard it. Begins with an F. Fruit of our lips. Thank you. The sacrifice of praise, which is you could have just read it from your Bible right there. It's right there in front of you. In case you didn't know what the trick question. But I want to tell you the sound of our praise is a powerful thing. We talked about this a little bit last week, but there is power in your volume. And I hear people say all the time, well, God's not deaf. No, he's not. But I have to build my faith. God doesn't need it to be loud, but I need it to be loud for me because it helps with my build my faith. Because when I'm whispering and I got my hands in my pocket, that's, that's a defeated posture. And I find there is strength. The Bible tells us, in fact, in Psalms to shout to the Lord. Right? We could go back and pull stories from the Old Testament where people shouted to the Lord or they shouted to, as a prelude to victory. But there is something powerful, my friends, about releasing a sound. There's a power in our praise when we release it. I want to tell you it's different. When we went to the doorkeeper of Revival's conference, my wife's not in here so I can talk about her in a good way, of course. But I remember when I first walked into that atmosphere, how it impacted me immediately. And I was curious to see how it would impact her. Because if you've never been in like a full-blown revival service where God has split the heavens and come down, you feel something very different when you walk in. And we walked in. And they were doing their pre-service prayer. The band was just playing some background. And there were some people on the microphone. And by the way, man, we, we just, some amazing testimonies. We had a, uh, one night there was a 10-year-old a, a boy. I believe he was 10. He was praying. He was one of the people praying pre-service. And he was healed from a profoundly uh, strong case of autism where he was nonverbal. He uh, would sit, in fact, he'd bang his head on the floor all day. And the mom said, you know, it got so hard that we decided, you know, maybe we, we can't even come to church because it's too tough to deal with. And I thought that, that's a pretty common response. Well, we just, it's too difficult, so we stay home. But this is what she said. I encourage everyone to listen. Don't tune out. Don't look at your phone. Don't let the devil rob you today. She said, the Lord spoke and said, your son won't be healed by you sitting home. So every week we gathered up our stuff and brought him. And God powerfully healed this young man. And I saw this little boy up on, maybe he was only eight. I think he's a third grader. That'd make him about eight, right? So he was, man, he was praying just like we do up here. And it was just going for it. And like that's the nonverbal kid that was banging his head on the floor and not looking at anybody, not talking. Healed by the power of Jesus Christ. Because I want to tell you, there's, a, there, there's power in your praise. There's power in pressing through spiritual laziness. Let's call it what it is. Or spiritual inconvenience. Maybe that there's power when we push through that. 
There's power in that, my friends. That's why when you come in here on Sunday, and, and sometimes we don't feel like it, we're tired, whatever, we got to push past that. We got to push past that. And that's what today was just a, a, a stretching, uh, us being stretched out, and I love that because it's important that we understand there is power in our praise. And I want to tell you, it's the grace of God that enables us to do that. It's the power of the Lord. Why he says the fruit of our lips, he's talking about the sound coming up out of God's people in the midst of struggle, in the midst of trial, in the midst of persecution. There is a sound of thanksgiving and praise that causes the world to say, what are they so happy about? And causes our enemies to lament, our lives are not working on them anymore. See, the spirit of religion would bind some of us in here. So we're looking at our phones. We've already made our excuses. We've already made our, we're already daydreaming about. We've already tuned this out because we've, we haven't died to the flesh. The Lord wants you to die to your flesh so you can push further and deeper into him. The word sacrifice comes from the Greek verb meaning to kill or sacrifice for a purpose. Our praise and worship often requires that we kill our flesh, our pride, our fear, our laziness, our excuses, our bad week, whatever it is. But anything that threatens to diminish or interfere with the worship of the Lord must be continually, friend, hear me, it must be continually put on the altar of sacrifice. So when you're shouting or praising, you know what you're doing. You're lighting a fire to your bad week. Is somebody hearing me today? Had a bad week, don't feel good, knee hurt. Come, let's get in here and light a fire to it. We're going to light it on the altar this week. I like that sound. It only sounds cool when you have a microphone. I try to do it at home and it doesn't do anything. <laughs> We're going to light the bad week. We're going to light our excuses. We're going to light all the things that we've been negative about. We're going to light it on the altar and our flesh is going to push back and our flesh is going to say, oh, I don't feel like it. I, why do we have to go so long? We're going to light it. And we're going to dance around it like a bunch of crazies with our faces painted blue as we celebrate the victory that we have in our God. <laughs> You're burning your doubts. Do you have any doubts? So how am I going to worship? I have a lot of doubts. You're going to dance, you're going to shout, you're going you're to light fire to your doubts. Doesn't even make sense, does it? How can I when I doubt? That's, <laughs> that's why it's powerful. I'm going to light a fire. I'm going to put my flesh on the cross. Because the basis of all of our praise is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the Hebrew writer said. It is by him. It's in him. It's, it's with him. It's to him. And it's for him that we offer our sacrifice of praise to him. So therefore, I'm not going to lament. I'll not be going to any lament, lamentation services. I'll lament over my sin and repent. But I'm going to have a sound of joy coming out of these lips right here, my friends. I'm going to have a sound of victory. I'm going to let Satan lament. How about that? 
How about we live our lives in such a way the devil laments? The things, the plans that he thought that he foiled, the things that he thought that he jacked up for us, he's feeling pretty good about himself. Well, we're going to turn the tables. We're going to flip the script. We're going to become a people of radical praise. We're going to be a people that shouts in the middle of a trial. We shout in the middle of a downtime. We shout in the middle of a dry season until the Lord sends his reign on this place and renews us and revives us. I don't need to do any lamenting. I'm going to have a shout of victory. I'm going to let the devil lament. I love this. Because Jesus' blood and my sweat are going to equal Satan's tears. Right there. Jesus' blood plus my sweat is going to equal Satan's tears. We're not going to stand static. We're not going to sit back. We're going to do what Jesus called us to do. We're going to offer the fruit of our lips. We're going to offer the fruit of our praise. So the sound, therefore, I release is a sound of victory. It's a sound of war to my enemies. It's a sound of joy and hope to my brothers. That's why I don't think we have the option of standing silent. So when Julie and I walked into that service, first night, we're walking to our seat, and I look back. That lady had tears. We got in our seat. Her tears, it touched me because I, I felt the same thing. I remember my first time. And I looked at her, and I, she was just streaming. And I said, it's powerful, isn't it? He goes, yeah. It's different, isn't it? Yeah. There is a sound of victory, my friends, when we release that radical praise, that radical prayer to the Lord. That's why the Bible says in James 5.16, the fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. It's a fervency of my sound, the fervency of my joy. That's what becomes a sound of war to my enemies. It becomes a sound of joy to my brothers. There is breakthrough in the sound that we send up called the fruit of our lips. I, I, I want to close with this next thought right here. We're going to take communion together. Hopefully you got your communion coming in. Strengthened by grace, verse 17 through 19. It talks about the ability to follow leaders. And I'd like to just kind of summarize that by saying grace strengthens us because it helps us maintain the heart of a disciple. I know in the church world today, it's be leadership development has become a huge buzzword. But can I suggest to you, leadership and discipleship are two vastly different things. And if we try to combine them, we do so at our own harm. Because discipleship is about following. You see, we get so entranced with our ability to lead, and that's great. If you've got leadership ability, wonderful, use it for the Lord, and that's develop it, that's great, that's, that's fine. But every single one of us is also a follower. Every single one of us. And, and our ability to follow, and our ability to follow correctly, you might say, is our ability to get further and go deeper in the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. Developing leaders, that's why I say it's not the same thing as making disciples. And before we can lead, we better make sure we're really good at following first. 
There's a whole bunch of folks out there today that think they're a leader and think they want to lead, but the problem is they haven't learned to swallow their pride and follow yet. And see, if we're not careful, we can convince ourselves that, that, everyone, that, that everyone's a chief and that you know, no one, therefore, can agree on anything or follow anyone because everyone thinks they need to do it their own way. But I want to tell you, making disciples, developing leaders, two vastly different exercises. And I pray again that we keep those separate because, remember, I am a follower of Jesus Christ first. He says here in the Scripture, I go out to meet Jesus and I embrace his cross of suffering. In the kingdom, I follow with joy without complaining and armchair quarterbacking. They have no place in the kingdom of God. It's not to our advantage for us to complain, is it? Right? It's in the Bible. We just read it. Complaining will do me no good. The worst thing we can do in the church as a body is complain. Armchair quarterback. Right? No advantage. In verse 18, if you see there in your text, he illustrates how to be a blessing to your spiritual leaders. Pray for them so they always do what's right. And then here at the very end, he's, he's, it, it appears like he may be writing this letter from prison. Pray that I'll be returned to you soon. Maybe he didn't get out. Maybe this is the last time he communicated with these believers. But that puts a whole other angle on everything he wrote in this entire book. You remember all the don't give ups, all the don't quit, all the, all the keep believing God, keep pressing in. This wasn't coming from a guy who was sipping lattes on the French Riviera. This likely came from a guy who was sitting in a stinky jail cell suffering for his faith. That adds a whole new spin to everything he wrote, I think. Keep pressing in. Keep going for God. Follow the people that have been persecuted. Follow your leaders who've laid it all down. Those are the people worth following. Follow the ones who are going all in for God. Those are the ones worth following. And above all, let the fruit of your lips continue to fly up. Why? Because he was in there doing that. He was letting the fruit, just like we saw Paul and Silas in Acts 14, right? They, they prayed, and the midnight came, right? The praises were going up to the Lord. Grace strengthens us to stay on the right course, to maintain the sacrifice of praise in our lips, and to maintain the heart of a disciple that knows how to follow. Lord, I will follow you wherever you lead. God, I will follow you no matter what the end. Lord Jesus, we will follow you. And then I love his final statement. Now may the God of peace, who by the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus, may he equip you with every good thing to do his will working in us what is pleasing before him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Would you stand right now and lift your hands to the Lord? Say, God, fill me with that grace. God of eminent grace, fill me with your grace right now. Fill me with that strengthening right now. In the name of Jesus Christ.
Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com. Thank you.